Hello. I'll be reading from Matthew 20, uh, verses 1 to 16. And you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about, uh, yeah, he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those, who, when those came who were hired first... They expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Good everyone, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Prack. Really good to be with you this morning. Um, despite the rain and cold outside, hey, it's nice to be here. Um, sometimes as a society, we change the way we think about something, and that's a good thing. So back, back, back in the day, doctors didn't used to wash their hands or wear gloves very often. So they would go from in one moment doing an autopsy on a dead body to the next moment walking over and delivering a baby and nothing happened in between and so obviously the mortality rates were very high. But our thinking changed and now doctors are aware of germs and they wash their hands all the time and scrub up and all that kind of stuff. And it's a good thing, right? Uh, back in the day, people used to think it was a good idea to let leeches suck your blood. They thought too much blood in your system would throw out the balance in your body and so you needed to get rid of some blood. Excess blood needs to be drained out and so they would put leeches on people and, and they'd suck the blood out. In fact, this was such a 
a huge thing that in about the 1830s, the reports are that France would import about 40 million leeches a year for this purpose. Thankfully, our thinking has changed, right? Um, we now realize that illnesses aren't caused by having too much blood, and so no more leeches, thank you very much. They still use leeches for hardly anything at all. Um, people used to think that lambs grew on trees. It's a true story. Not all lambs, however, but an Englishman in the 1300s wrote a book about his travels, including this time he went to India and found cotton plants. These were trees that grew little lambs on them. And that's where the imported cotton from India came from. Thankfully, our thinking has changed on this. Uh, and people realize that when they go to India, these things aren't real. And this guy just made, up, made it all up. So don't go to India thinking you're going to find cotton trees with little lambs in them. Why are we talking about this? Well, in church, we're going through a series in a book uh, called Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus' life. And as we go through, we see so much of Jesus, right? who he is, what he loves, what he cares about, what his priorities are. And, and we've been, uh, let me just set the scene for us again where we're up to here. Jesus has spent most of his time uh, up in a part of uh, the, the Palestine area around a place called Galilee. Then he started a big walk. All, all this time in Matthew, Jesus has been up there. But last week in chapter 19, verse 1, we saw that Jesus started a big walk and he went down south to another region called Judea. Partway through chapter 20, we're going to read that he's specifically going to one city, Jerusalem. And by the end of chapter 20, we find out that Jesus had made it as far as Jericho. So he's gone quite a long way there. Uh, he, so that, 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 that's where we're at, a, a big journey, a long walk, going to Jerusalem. And here's the thing, on the way, Jesus wants to change the way we think about something. He wants to change the way we think about greatness. The question is, will we embrace Jesus' change? Or will we just keep walking and doing what we've always done? Okay, so last week this long walk started. And as Andy reminded us, you might remember the rich young ruler. This was the guy that everyone thought was first in line with God. When it came to God and, and, and all the things that, about, about belonging to God, people thought this guy was first in line. But Jesus said no, because riches and status don't get you first in line, according to Jesus. Like we, last week we also saw Peter, and we've known lots about Peter throughout the whole book of Matthew, but Peter had given up so much to follow Jesus, and Jesus commends him for this. But Jesus also did say to Peter that he shouldn't expect to always be first in line. Because the sacrifices you make to follow Jesus, they don't put you at the front of the line either. And so, as Jesus said in chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are the first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then we get to today's passage. It follows straight on from last week. In chapter 20, verse 1, Jesus tells a parable, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Josiah, we just heard Josiah read this passage for us. And we saw people start working at different times during the day, right? Some people work the whole day. Some people work part of the day. Some people work for just about an hour or so. And knock-off time comes and everyone comes to get paid. And, 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 but, but they all get paid the same. 
And the point that Jesus makes is in verse 16. He says, again, so the last will be first and the first will be last. That's the basic story of the parable. Now, let me take you back for a moment to verse 12. We're going to hear people talking. These are are the people who worked for the whole day. Have a listen to what they say. These who were hired last only worked an hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Let's be honest here for a moment. You feel for these guys, don't you? For what they've done, they've been out there slogging their guts out the whole day. And at the end of it, they get paid the same as people who were there for an hour. You'd feel gypped. I'd feel ripped off. We feel for them, don't we? Because we live in a world where we expect hard work and effort gets rewarded. Yeah? That's, that's the norm for us. You get rewarded for your hard work. So Let me tell you about the first job I had. I was working at the Coffs Harbour Fisherman's Co-op. There's a picture of it up there. Uh, still there today. I deep fried fish and chips all day long. Happy days. I came home smelling worse than a garbage bin, basically. Anyway, the first year I was there, business must have been good because we all got Christmas bonuses. Oh, this is excellent, right? Um, Everyone there, everyone got it. The, 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 the workers, the cleaners, the management, the whole, everyone got these Christmas bonuses. Everyone was happy, except, well, not everyone did get them. See, a month or so before Christmas, they hired a bunch of new people. And they'd only been working there for a few weeks, and they did not get the Christmas bonus. Can you guess how many of them were upset by it? No one, really. Not a one, because they got it. They hadn't been there throughout the whole year. Why should they get the extra cash? No one really questioned the decision. No one complained because that's kind of the norm of our world, right? We get rewarded for hard work. That's why we feel bad for these guys in the parable, the ones who work the whole day. And that's precisely the point. Jesus is warning us to change the way we think. He's saying things are different in my kingdom. See, with Jesus, greatness isn't about what you bring to the table. It's not about your hard work or your effort. It's not about your sacrifice. In Jesus' kingdom, greatness is about God and his generosity. Look again at what the landowner said to the workers in verse 15. Don't I have the right? To do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because of my generosity? Because I'm generous. Can you remember someone who's been generous to you? When I think about generosity, I think about Mrs. Corbett. Now, Mrs. Corbett was one of the old ladies who taught Sunday school when I was just a little boy at, at growing up in a church. Um, she taught me Sunday school, and then for a long time, I've had virtually nothing to do with her. Like as a teenage boy, you don't really hang out with 70-year-old women, do you? Um, so, but many years later, Mrs. Corbett came back into my life. By this time, I was in my 20s, I so. I was living hundreds of kilometers away from where she was. But somehow she heard that I was moving house, probably through my parents. And so through my parents, she got in touch, and she said, I want you to have a dining table and chairs here. So you got a place to eat at. And it was excellent. Now I could sit down and eat a meal. And a number of times around then, she'd also somehow get money to me, either like post a check or money through parents again. 
I'd done nothing for her. She didn't owe me a lick. There's no reason. It was just an act of her generosity. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, generosity? Um, it doesn't ask what you're worth. It doesn't question what you deserve or how good you've been. It, it is, it's just an act of kindness. It gives without needing a reason. That's what the parable is telling us God is like. That's why Jesus is telling the parable. He's changing the way we see greatness. The greatness isn't about what we bring to God, but what he brings to us. His generosity, freely giving. Friends, isn't this a beautiful thing about God, that he is like this? Let me ask then, when's the last time you thought about God's generosity to you? When's the last time you thought much about the good things that he's given you in life? The generous way that he's treated you, even though, truth be told, we don't really deserve it, do we? That's why we're glad that God doesn't work on that, uh, that paradigm of, 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 of reward for good works, reward for hard effort. We need God's generosity. When's the last time you thanked God for his generosity to you? Look, can I say, if you're sitting here today and you realise that this really hasn't been part of your life at all, you've never given thanks to God for his generosity, you've never spent much time thinking about it, let me say, Maybe you realize today today is the day you need to do business with God and get back on track with him. If that's you, don't put it off. Do do it today. Give thanks to him for what he's done. Come and tell me later. I'd love to chat about it a bit. But we are, we're going to see a little bit more of God's generosity now. The rest of chapter 20 really shows us, again, highlights for us this, this aspect of God. He's a generous God. So I'm going to ask Josiah's going to come back now. And he's going to read to us the second part of Matthew 20. And as he does, especially listen out for the two brothers who get their mother to come with them. It's thoroughly a fascinating story. Josiah, you take over for us. Thanks, brother. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant, 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Did you hear the two brothers there, James and John? What's your take take on them after hearing this? Here they are, two full-grown adult blokes, and their mum has to come and do their bidding for them. They kind of look like lost little boys, don't they? They don't know what to do. But what they're asking for is not a little boy thing. What they're asking for is to sit at Jesus' right and left when he's the king. They want the places of honour for themselves. Jesus, he lets them down gently. But did you notice how the rest of the disciples acted, reacted when they heard what James and John had done? Verse 24 tells us they were indignant, right? They're angry at James and John because they wanted those places for themselves. How dare James and John try and beat us to it? How dare they try and pull this off and cut us out? And you can imagine them walking along the road like this for a while, right? Shooting harsh looks at James and John, muttering about how low they've stood, maybe trying to goad them into an argument again. And it all becomes pretty clear, right? The disciples have not been paying one blind bit of attention. Jesus has been talking about a chain. Something that's upside down in who's first and who's last. But here are the disciples arguing who gets to be first. You've got to be wondering, what does Jesus think of all of this? I mean, put yourself in his shoes from it. Wouldn't you be frustrated? Wouldn't you be at your wit's end? Again, we see the gentleness of Jesus. He doesn't flip his lid. He doesn't go on a rant. He, he, instead, he gets them together and he uses this as a teaching moment. Look at verse 25. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
And that is Jesus pointing to the way that greatness works in the world. When you've got a position of power, you use it for your advantage, even if that means someone a bit further down gets trodden on. And actually, this is what we've seen all through the book of Matthew already, haven't we? Herod the Great, who's so great he had to kill a bunch of baby boys in Bethlehem, or because he was worried one of them might grow up and challenge him for his throne. What about Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist imprisoned and then killed, all because John spoke out against Herod's adultery? Again and again, rulers lording it over their people. And isn't this what our history has shown to us? Kings and presidents and rulers do it time and time again, even right up till today. Not a year goes by in our country where we don't see some politician who has to retire or stand back, all because they've tried to rot the system, tried to get a little bit extra for themselves. And who's the one who pays for it? Recently, I watched a movie called Hustle. Uh, there is Adam Sandler there. He plays a, a basketball coach, and he's got this guy, his protege, and he's trying to get his protege signed to an NBA team. Um, you can tell which one is, is the basketball player in that photo, right? Uh, there's, there's, there's one scene in the movie, right, where they're in a car, and they're going to this big tryout. And they pull up, and, and all the media are there, and... And there's all the scouts from the NBA teams there. And the big guy, he goes to the boot of the car to get his bags out. And Adam Sandler stops him, put his hand on the bag and physically pushes the bag back in the boot. And he says to him, no, 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 no. You're the star. You don't carry your bag. Somebody else does that for you. That's greatness in our world. Those in higher positions use it for their own advantage. They don't carry their own bags. Somebody else does that for them. But Jesus changes things. Look at verse 25. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This is incredible. Are you hearing Jesus here? Things are going to be different if you're with Jesus among his people. If you're going to follow him, it means a drastic change. Greatness isn't about taking advantage of your position. It's actually about serving, being a slave for another. It's about doing the lowly thing for the good of other people. It's a complete reversal. I mean, this ought to shock us because this is not the way our world works, does it? Let me just clarify here for a moment. That doesn't mean we have to be a doormat. Let other people walk all over, use us and abuse us. And we've just got to, you know, put up with it because we're supposed to be servants, aren't we? It's not saying that at all, but it's saying this is a completely new way of thinking. Who are the truly great ones amongst Jesus' people? Well, it's not those who have a special role or a special job. It's not archbishops or senior pastors or people on the church leadership team. 
with Jesus. Just having that role does not make you great. Who's the great one? Is any Christian who serves. Any Christian who serves others. That's the great one. Even if nobody else sees what they do, Jesus does. And in his eyes, they're the great one. And that might be you, eh? Plugging away at doing something good and serving others. And no one seems to ever notice. Because if that's you, I want you to hear this. Jesus does. He sees. He knows. And in his eyes, what you're doing isn't missed. It's great. Be encouraged. There's something more to this too, though. If you're a follower of Jesus and you happen to find yourself in a position of leadership, you're to use your leadership to serve. Those who have positions of leadership can't be in it for their own good and for their own gain. They use their position to serve others, to look after the needs of others. And I say then, personally for me, this has been a, uh, a bit of a, conf- a confronting week, right? It's forced me to press pause and ask, is, is this me? Is this what I'm doing? Is this driving me? Am I being a servant or a slave? It's a, kind of quite a humbling week, to be honest with you. It's also made me maybe to, to look around at church and ask, is this in our church? Is this the culture of leaders within our church? This is the thing I've been thinking about wrestling with. I just want to say, come Sunday, I'm so thankful for, for what God has given in our church. I want to commend to you, friends, I want to commend to you today our leadership team. This is Christine, Michael, Ben, and Anya. These guys, I want to tell you, they work hard for you. They put time and energy into thinking about how to, how to lead our church. They're genuinely seeking our good as servants of you. These guys are being your servants. Can I say, I want to commend to you the Trinity Kids leaders. They put in a stack of effort to prepare each week for Trinity Kids. They work hard to make our kids' program happen week after week, to make it interesting and fun. These guys are being servants of you, of us, of our kids. Because I want to commend to you our community group leaders. They work hard in the Bible week by week by week to lead our group. They open up their homes to you. They, they keep striving to learn new things so they can learn to be better leaders. These men and women are being your servants. Praise God for them. Of course, the problem in saying this is there are a bunch of people who are doing lots of other things that I just don't have the space to mention now as well. But praise God for this. Particularly, friends, I, I, I want to suggest this week, spend some time giving thanks to God for the leaders that he has given you, who serve you week by week. Your leadership team, your community group leader, the Trinity kids. And this is a call to all of us, isn't it? So that this would be the culture of our church, that we seek to serve you, for, we seek to serve each other for the good of one another. And we do it even when it's costly and uncomfortable because with Jesus, that's greatness. Serving one another. But you know what Jesus is saying here is actually not so much about us 
it's far more about him. In fact, it's all about him. Because none of us are the truly great ones, but Jesus is. Look again at the passage. This is from verse 26. Jesus says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of talking about himself. And, and, and so when we read this, what do we see? What's his purpose in coming? Not so he could take advantage of, of, of being a great one, but he comes with the intention. His goal, his purpose is to serve. Even to serve us in the fullest way, to die for us, to give his life as a ransom price so he could be set free. Jesus is the great one. In fact, this is what Jesus was talking about in verses 17 to 19, how he was on his way to Jerusalem, and when he got there, well, Jesus was going to be killed. You look at verse 18, they will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Now, those three things, they sound pretty bad. Right? I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to be flogged. I definitely don't want to be crucified. But, you know, that's not the worst part of it. In the Old Testament, if you were handed over to the Gentiles, that was a sign for you. It meant that you were under God's judgment, that you were facing God's wrath, and this was his punishment to you, that you were now in the hands of the Gentiles, these foreign nations who would come and do to you what they willed. That's why when the Jews were exiled by the, by the Babylonians, that's why it was such a bad thing. It was a sign that God was not with them anymore. He was against them in judgment. And here Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm the one facing God's wrath. I'm the one who'll be judged. And I do it so you can be set free. My life, my death, it's your ransom price. You see the extent to which Jesus serves you how completely he puts your needs in front of even his own. Can you see how great then Jesus' generosity is? It's something those two blind men understood. They, they're sitting there by the road and they hear that Jesus is coming and what do they shout out again and again and again? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They're not trying to impress Jesus with their goodness or the things they can do or anything else. They just ask for his mercy. They lean into his generosity. In Jesus' kingdom, the great ones serve. And Jesus is the one who generously serves more than all. He gives his life as a ransom to set us free. Jesus here, friends, is the truly great one. So to end, I just want to ask the question. When you hear this about Jesus, when you're reminded of this about Jesus, of what he went through, the, the, the mocking, the flogging, the crucifixion, that, that he bore God's wrath on himself so that you didn't have to. When you hear this about Jesus, what's, what's your reaction to it? How does it make you feel about him? What, what's your reaction to this? 
Gratitude, maybe? Thankfulness? Relief? Joy? Worship? But this is why we love Jesus, isn't it? That he did this for us. And this is why Easter is such a big deal coming up in a couple of weeks. Because at Easter we remember that he was our ransom. That we're set free because of what he's done. This is why, even though it might be awkward, we do want our neighbours, our friends, our family to know about him. We want to maybe invite them along at Easter time or something like that because we want them to know how good Jesus is too. The truly great one who shows his greatness to us by serving.